The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. Imagine growing a business with high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, and wildly happy customers. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. LinkedIn presents. I think everybody can relate to that feeling of, oh, my friends want me to go to this museum, but... I could just lie on the couch and do nothing all day and watch TV. And I think we all have to overrule that gut instinct. Don't trust your gut in this situation. Welcome back to the next Big Idea Daily. It's Friday and we're wrapping up our series of conversations on how data can change your life. If you're like most of us, you make your big life decisions using your instincts. When it comes to your love life and your career, you're mostly winging it. And until recently, that was probably your best option. But modern technology has allowed my guest, Seth Stevens-Davidowitz, to parse millions of points of information from tax records, dating sites, large-scale studies, to offer up a data-driven approach to making those life decisions. Now, some of his conclusions are counterintuitive, like the best way to raise kids or to get rich. But sometimes the data just underscores what we already know. When it comes to making ourselves happy, it turns out the right answers are usually the obvious ones. In writing this book, I read hundreds of studies on happiness. The best studies, in my opinion, are experience sampling projects. Such projects ping people on smartphones and ask them simple questions. Who are you with? What are you doing? How happy are you? The largest of these has created a data set with more than 3 million points. They've done all kinds of amazing studies with this data. Researchers have found, for example, that the same person doing the same activity at the same time with the same people tends to be happier if they're in nature, particularly near a lake. They found that people are happiest when they're hiking, attending shows, or having sex. They found that people are happiest when they're hanging out with their romantic partners or their friends, but they're not particularly happy when they're with their work colleagues or by themselves. Do we need scientists to tell us this? Sure, the findings may be obvious, but I would argue there is profundity in their obviousness. Think about it. How many of us don't do these obvious things that make people happy and then complain that we're not happy? Many of us work too hard at jobs we don't like, with people we don't like. We whittle away hours on social media, which studies suggest make people miserable. We spend little time in nature. The secret to happiness, I believe, is keeping in mind how simple the things that make people happy really are, and not getting tricked by all the noise of modern life. A lot of what you do in this book is you find the counterintuitive results in the data. You find the things that are surprises. You know, you should be a a mid-level beer distributor if you want to get rich, for example. But of course, a lot of the things the data reveals are obvious things, right? So I was researching happiness. I became obsessed with this project, Mappiness, by two uh, British researchers, George McCarran and Susanna Murado. And they ping people on iPhones and they ask them questions. How happy are you? What are you doing? Who are you with? And they built a data set, more than 60,000 people, more than 3 million points of happiness. And I started reading these studies and there were things like being in a beautiful environment makes you happy. Nature, particularly by water, makes you happy. A nice day, 80 degrees sunny, makes you happy. Being with your romantic partner or friends makes you happy. 
certain activities, sex, gardening, going to a show makes you happy. So I'm like, wow, this research is so cool. And I started telling my friends and every one of my friends had the same response. They're like, that's so obvious. And then I thought about it. And a lot of my friends who claim this research is so obvious, don't do these obvious things that make people happy. So many of my friends, probably most of my friends are workaholics. The second most miserable activity, according to Mappiness, is work. The only thing that's more miserable is being sick in bed. You know, we don't spend time in nature. We live in cities. Nature makes people happy. We don't spend enough time with our friends, romantic partners. So I think one of the things that I took from this research is the things that make people happy are not rocket science, but you have to make time for them in your life. And I conclude the book with what I jokingly refer to as the data-driven answer to life. The data-driven answer to life, uh, be with your love on an 80 degree and sunny day, overlooking a beautiful body of water, having sex. Yeah. Uh, that's basically the happiest activity, happiest location, happiest person to do it with, happiest weather. <laughs> well, I'm sold. But what's surprising in this also is there are a lot of activities that we think are going to make us happy that this mappiness study shows probably don't, right? Like relaxing, you say, or watching TV, snacking. These are things that I think probably feel pretty pleasant. But the research shows not as much as you'd think, right? Yeah, sitting on your ass basically doesn't make people happy. Uh, we think that watching Netflix, playing a computer game, relaxing, snacking is going to make us happy. But when you actually ping people who are doing that, they report low levels of, of happiness. So I think one of the key things I took from this research is the value of doing things, of getting out and about, things you yeah. don't feel like doing. Being a little less lazy is probably good for your happiness. Uh, right. We're all kind of being tricked by our own laziness, our own passiveness, our own desire to lie on our couch. Right. Because the things that this study shows do tend to make people happy, which are things like going to a museum or exercising, gardening, you say. These are things that do require some effort. You know, yeah. we got to put a little energy into it. And in any given moment, maybe we think like, ah, oh, I don't feel like doing that. I'm too tired. But the research suggests that if you make that effort, you'll, you're going to be happier than if you don't. I think everybody can relate to that feeling of, oh, I, my friends want me to go to this museum, but I could just lie on the couch and do nothing all day and watch TV. And I think we all have to overrule that, yeah. our gut instinct. Don't trust your gut in this situation. Yeah. I think you say that feeling itself, that like, oh, I just don't want to do it feeling is maybe a good indicator that you should probably get up yeah, and do yeah, it. Yeah. There are also some odd little things in here too, like the the booze boost. Yeah, so people are happier when they have a drink, but it's kind of surprising. They compared that alcohol boost you get from a drink depending on the activity you're doing. So socializing with friends, for example, you actually are just about as happy doing it sober as you are doing it a little tipsy. When you get a really big happiness boost from alcohol is like taking a shower or doing chores, <laughs> like kind of boring activities, which I don't know. I I, I just presented the research, but I don't want to like encourage people. You don't to want to advocate a lot of day drinking in the shower. A lot of day drinking, but it's definitely interesting. <laughs> yeah. I, I think one of the top activities is spending time in nature. And that's the one that probably we all know is good for us, but we probably do the least, many of us anyway. Many of us, but that's one of the easiest things to change, I think. Just yeah. like, it's not that hard to get into nature. 
you know, some of these things are a little hard to know what to do with, you know, the fact that work makes people so miserable. It's like, can't just not work, mm -hmm. but being in nature, you can just spend more time in nature. Yeah. And if you plan it properly, you can do it with the person you love on an 80 degree day, overlooking a body of water, having sex, Boom. and then you will have achieved peak data-driven happiness. Starts with drink in the shower and ends with sex <laughs> on the beach. <laughs> well, I don't know what you've got planned for the weekend, but I think Seth has given us all a pretty good list of fun activities. Let us know if this data-driven approach to happiness works for you. You can write to us at podcast at nextbigideaclub.com. You can also sign up for our newsletter using the link in the episode notes, and we'll send you a curated sample of the best new ideas in nonfiction. Come back Monday when I'll be throwing caution to the wind and diving into the topic of political division as we get closer to a new presidential election that looks more and more like it could be a replay of the last one. Is it even possible for conservative and liberal Americans to talk to one another, much less work together to make our country better? I'll be speaking with Monica Guzman, author of I Never Thought of It That Way, How to Have Fearlessly Curious Conversations in Dangerously Divided Times. I'm Michael Kovnath. I wrote and produced this week's episodes. Sound design was by Emily Rostick. Kayla Bissinger and Rufus Griscom are the executive producers. The Next Big Idea Daily is a proud member of the LinkedIn Podcast Network. See you Monday.